Proverbs seventeen fourteen. The beginning of strife is as when one letteth out water. Therefore leave off contention before it be meddled with. There's a, a time factor here. Before. That's the aspect of the letting out of water that is detailed here. Before. Don't don't let it break out. That's what that word meddled means, to break out. The idea of letting out water is that it begins maybe with just a drip and then becomes a fast drip and then a little stream and then a big stream. And uh, I suspect every one of us has experienced this in our lives. There's a contention, a disagreement, some division between you and somebody else, and it 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 it, uh, it tends to become worse. And once a disagreement, a contention becomes open contempt. It's not easily reversed. It's a lot easier to fall out with somebody than it is to fall back in with them. And as as I said, the word metal means to break out, leave it off before it breaks out, before it becomes such a deluge that it's impossible to stop, when it's just a single drip, or even before that, when you know it's going to happen, leave it alone. My pastor in Texas used to say a lot. Vicki would laugh if she was in here. He used to say a lot. Let it go. That was a byword of... (laughs) of his ministry, let it go. And it was good, good advice. He said that before it was a song, by the way. The other thing about water is when it does break out, there's no putting it back, much less stopping it. There's no putting it back. Letting water out of a receptacle is pretty easy, but try getting it back in. Wise words here in our text. Cut it off before it breaks out or it begins to flow. Shut it down. Wise words. Contention is a product of pride. It always helps to trace something back to its source. If you want to cut it off, find out where the source is. Cain was proud of his offering. He offered of the fruits of his field, of the work of his hands, his plowing, his planting, his reaping. He was proud and he resented the fact that God would not accept him and his offering. He was jealous of Abel, whom God did accept with his offering. Cain was proud of himself. He resented God for punishing him. Cain couldn't hurt God, so he murdered the one God did accept with his offering. And I keep saying with his offering because God doesn't accept anybody without an offering. Cain's offering, or Abel's offering rather, was an animal offering offered by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have that clearly revealed in the New Testament. By faith, Abel offered the more excellent sacrifice which by faith was the Lamb of God, 
all contention, and, and always remember this, all contention, it doesn't matter what it is, wars, murders, vendettas, hatred of each other, fights, divisions, all of it originates with man's enmity against God. And that's the mind. Now the scripture says the carnal mind is enmity against God. That word is extreme hatred. And that's the mind we're all born with. The carnal mind or the fleshly mind. That's how we're born into this world. Enmity against God. And that's our real problem. If you're going to shut it off, find the source. Listen to Isaiah 45, 9. Here's our problem. Woe unto him that striveth with his maker. Let the potsherd strive with the potsherds of the earth. Shall the clay say to him that fashioneth it, what makest thou? Or thy work, he hath no hands. Now think about that. Let the things made strive with one another, but don't strive with your maker. But the thing is, striving with one another comes from your strife with your maker. Our enmity against God breaks out in all manner of rebellion, even little children now. <laughs> Why don't they just instinctively do the right thing? <laughs> they instinctively do the wrong thing, don't they? Every time. Every toy was my toy. <laughs> Sharing has to be taught, doesn't it? Kindness has to be taught. Selfishness doesn't have to be taught. Anger doesn't have to be taught. It just kind of happens, doesn't it? But it breaks out as time goes on. And, and that's why it's so important. The scripture teaches very clearly to restrain that. When, when children are young, the scriptures are very, very clear about that. Restrain it when they're young now, because it's going to break out worse and worse. It's not going to get better. <clears throat> Little cute things become jail time. Eventually, if it's not restrained, God's authority has got to be established. The home, the family, the parents, the children. God establishes his authority in the home, in society, in the church, all out throughout this earth, and it can't be violated without consequence. <clears throat> and it'll break out into all manner of rebellion and sin, and it's impossible to put it back. You can't put it back. It can't be reversed, not by us. And we have to start there. Don't, what are we going to do about it? Well, Matthew 19, 25, his disciples heard it. The Lord dealt with that rich young ruler and he said, go sell all that you have, give it to the poor, come follow me and you'll have eternal life. You'll be perfect. And he couldn't do it. And the Lord said, how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And his disciples said, 
it says they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? Who can be saved from their sin? Who can be saved from their path of destruction? Who can be saved from their pride and their selfishness and their false gods? But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. You can't put the water back into the to the balloon or whatever it is or back into the faucet. God can. Thank God he's done something about it. We read a while ago from Isaiah 45, 10. Turn over there with me to Isaiah 45, and I want you to look at the context of that with me. Remember that verse, woe unto him that striveth with his maker. Woe unto the man that striveth with his maker. Here's the next verse, verse 10. Look at verse 10 with me, Isaiah 45, 10. Woe unto him. Remember the other, the verse 9 started out with woe. Woe unto him that striveth with his maker. Woe unto him that saith unto his father, What begettest thou? Or to the woman, what hast thou brought forth? Thus saith the Lord, the Holy One of Israel and his maker, the maker that you should not strive with, that you cannot strive with. Here's what he says. Ask me. Isn't that beautiful? Our Lord said, you have not because you ask not. Ask and you shall receive. Instead of flying off the handle and hating God and living, you know, I'll live it my way and all that kind of rebellious evil. Ask God. What, what, what's, what can be done? You made me. <laughs> You're my maker. And everything I have is from you. What can be done about this? My wretchedness. Who shall, Paul put it this way. Who shall save me from the body of this death? Mm. Ask me about what? Ask me of things to come concerning my sons and concerning the work of my hands, command ye me, be determined to get an answer. There's a sense in which we can't command God of anything, but what he's saying is, don't go to bed until you find out. Command ye me. Of my sons, of my work, I have made the earth and created man upon it. I, even my hands, have stretched out the heavens and all their hosts have I commanded. I have raised him up in righteousness. Who do you think this is talking about? He said, ask me about my sons. If you're going to know something about God's sons, you're going to have to know something about his son. I have raised him up in righteousness and I will direct all his ways. He shall build my city. That's the city we've been talking about in Revelation, the new Jerusalem. He shall build it. And he shall let go my captives. 
Who are we captives of? <clears throat> well, sin, we're, we're captives of sin. We're captives of Satan, taken captive by his will, the, the book says. <clears throat> taken captive by him at his will. We're captives of the law of God. Guilty, condemned before God. He shall let him go. Not for price nor reward. He is the price. He is the reward. Saith the Lord of hosts. And notice what it is that man strives with God about. Just a couple more thoughts. Think about that. What is it that man is striving with God about? In in 45.13 there, it talks about saying to the one that formed you, why have you made me this way? Does that ring a bell? Look at uh, Romans 9.11 with me. In Romans 9.11, and in this passage, in Romans 9, Paul is referring to Isaiah 45.13, where we read. To strive with your maker is to say, why'd you make me like this? <laughs> Man says that on every level now, don't they? Every level. They rebel against God's work, God's creation, God's everything. But look what it says, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid, for he saith to Moses, I'll have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth. Religion can talk about man's free will all they want to. You're not going to be saved by your will. Your will is the problem. It is not of him that willeth. It is not of him that runneth. And that word is striveth. It is not of him that does something for God. Preaching the gospel is not trying to get you to do something for God. Religious false preachers all over the place are saying, do this for God, make a decision for God. What are you going to do for God? Are you kidding me? What you've done for God is your problem. Preaching the gospel is we're fixing to find out today whether God will do something for you. That's what needs to happen. But of God that showeth mercy. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. Thou wilt say then unto me, and people do, Why doth God yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? If everything's according to God's will, how can he find fault with me? Nay, but O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Here's Isaiah 45, 13 right here. 
Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? I don't recommend it. Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? Isn't it amazing? You think about this. Isn't it amazing that God made man, put him in paradise. Man's sins in the garden establishes rebellion against God in pride. You will be like God. You will decide what's good and evil. That's what Satan whispered. And we bought it. We wanted it. We still do. That's what it's all about. That's what man's free will. The only one with a free will is God. And man wants to claim that because he wants to be God. It happened in the garden. It's still playing out before our very eyes. Man wants to even decide now whether he's a man or a woman or whatever he wants to be, something in between. It's man's will or God's will. That's the enmity. But how amazing that we sin and we go out from the garden, banished from the communion and presence of God by nature, and we commit all manner. The imagination of man's heart was only evil continually. And God prophesies of a savior. There's hope for sinners like you. You're a wretch. You ought to go to hell yesterday. But there's hope for you in Christ. There's shed blood that washes away sin. You know what man's biggest problem with God is? How he saves sinners. You would think just the fact that God saves sinners would make us real happy. But the biggest, greatest point of enmity between God and man is how he does it. If it doesn't acknowledge me in something I do, then I don't want no part of it. You talk about depraved. But with God, there's mercy, even for the proudest, most vile rebel in this world. Turn with me to Ephesians 2.14, and we'll close with this. There's still hope for you. <laughs> Aren't you glad? There's still hope for us. Ephesians 2.14 For Christ is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, and so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God, Reconciliation, putting away the enmity. We beseech you, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, we beseech you, be you reconciled to God, for he hath made his son to be sin for us, who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And look at this, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body, 
by the cross. What hope is there? The cross, Christ and him crucified. Having slain the enmity thereby, by that cross. By submitting himself into the hands of wicked men and being crucified and slain, wherein he offered his own soul unto his Father, an offering for my sin, the only one God will accept. Every other offering that's ever been offered is a picture of Christ crucified. The only blood that can wash away sin. Paul said the blood of bulls and goats can never take away sin. But John the Baptist pointed at the Son of God and said there's the lamb that does take away sin. One hope, one, one thing needful, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray.